sportsfolk.com. Welcome to the lowdown on Sports 1440. Today's show, the sky is not falling for the Oilers. This is a good time for a reset, and we're already seeing it on the ice this morning. You can reach us at sports1440.ca, iHeartRadio, Radio Player Canada, Apple and Spotify podcast. You can text or call us at 1-833-401-1440, on Twitter, at Low Tide, at Donovan Paulson, at Declan Kruger. We're all over the joint. We're brought to you by Wolf GMC Buick. Hurry in for amazing deals days until February 16th only. 0% financing for up to 60 months on selected remaining in-stock 2023 GMC Sierra Half Tons, plus a $5,000 cash discount. Visit WolfGMCBuick.com. Our guest today, Rachel Dory, Jason Greger, and we'll have Mama MMA with our friend Declan Kruger. And I notice as I look up that there's an extra... This is the beginning of the end. It's kick out the old guy, Declan Kruger sitting to my right. One step closer, Al. I'm oh my close God! To your chair it's over there. You think I wouldn't notice this? My goodness, it's all fallen into place finally. Donovan in the plan. producer's chair. Donovan, how are you? I'm doing. I'm doing well this morning, Al. Or Did, I guess this afternoon now. Was there an email sent that we're pretty soon? I'll be reading the the live liners and doing the weather. This is just the beginning of the end. Well, you're going to you're going to start to notice a couple things. Like there's going to be a screw out of your chair and you're going to be like, "Hey, oh what's happening God. here?" Then your headphones are going to stop working and then all of a sudden you can't find the liners. And it'll all fall into place. And then one day you'll just say, "Hey, listen, could you just go get some tea at the shop down the way?" And leave and then your key. It'll be at like 40 seconds till we hit air and then I'll know. Then I'll know. Well done, boys. Why let me know? Just let me figure it out myself. All right. The Oilers did not figure out a lot on the weekend. I know people are upset. They went 1-2-0 and on the weekend after the, after the All-Star break. They didn't look right on the road trip. And I, I don't want to blame the coaching staff because they were doing a shuffle of defensemen and moving Perry up. But I'm going to turn it this way. I'm going to say it's a good test for the coach. Can he get this group back together? They came back. They'd been away for a while. And I think there was a little anxiety because they there was a sense of not knowing which way to go on those defensive pairings. And it was chaotic. And I do think it cost them. I don't think it cost them a game, but they didn't look right for a time. Today, this is via Tony Brar uh, on X. Uh, McDavid is between Nuge and Hyman. Drysaddle between Kane and Perry. McLeod centering Holloway. Fogel. Ryan at center. Brown on right wing. Sam Gagne is on left wing. So that's a change. Matthias Janmark. Down to one Matthias in the regular lineup. Janmark sitting. Gagne in. They got to get some uh, offensive help there. I still think Raphael Lavoie is a guy who's available, but he's not here right now. At home with Bouchard, Nurse CC, Kulak, DeHarnay. So they've gone back to the pairings. That little experiment did not work out. I don't think it's wise to be critical of the coach. Remember when there was a period of time where they decided they were going to change the top line, they put it right back together after they had an ineffective game. That's the sign of a a mature coach and maybe somebody who's not too stubborn on things. They're trying to tweak. They're trying to get better. They're trying to include Gagne in the lineup. All of those things are possible and, and necessary. They need to have secondary scoring. Gagne can help. I think there are two players in the minor leagues that management should consider recalling at some point. I know they're trying to get the cap down, but I think Philip Broberg on defense could come up and spell somebody on the the, uh, third pairing. And then I also think that Raphael Lavoie deserves an opportunity. Connor Brown is not shooting lights out. He just isn't. 
And I understand you might not want to wave him. You don't have to. You can sit him in the press box. You can sit him there. And I think that you could wave somebody else. No, I'm not mentioning any names. And they would be able to find their way down to Bakersfield. It's happened in the past. Something to think about. Something that we may see. Not right now, but this is a good test for the coach. Can he get the group reset for the Detroit Red Wings? We'll find out in the next two days. Chris Johnston has the trade deadline list out, and there's a bunch of new additions. This is a monster list now. Tanev is a player of interest. Sean Walker, uh, Vladimir Tarasenko, Jake Gensel, uh, Alexander Carrier, Jake Allen has been mentioned for the Oilers. They're all over this. Alex Wenberg is a new player on the list. Jordan Eberle still there. Thank Vitrano. Even Ilya Labushkin. A lot of these players might be of interest to the Oilers. Nick Dowd has been mentioned at length by Jason Greger on the Jason Greger Show right here on Sports 1440. Uh, talked about it a lot last week. And that's a player to keep in mind as well. The Oilers will make some moves. Um, I wrote about the 50-man list and what it looks like at the deadline at the Athletic today. There are some things they could do. Olivier Rodrigue is waiver eligible in the fall. Maybe he's a piece you end up trading. They've got a lot of AHL defensemen who could be recall and they have value. Guys like Marcus Niemelainen. There may be some value there. I mentioned Raphael Lavoie. Broberg is a guy I don't think they should trade. Daniel Nugent Bowman has an excellent article today at The Athletic and he talks about Ken Holland feeling like Broberg is a player they're going to keep because he's a 6'4 defenseman who can scoot. That's the right plan. We'll see. If you're chasing Jake Gensel, Jake Gensel I think Kyle Dubas will want that player and a first-round pick. We'll see. Okay. Um, I'm going to include both of you gentlemen in this because I know that you're both football people. Super Bowl. I thought I thought it was a great game. Uh, I will direct it to whoever wants to answer it. I thought I thought San Francisco had a chance, but they the defense looked so tired and spent. On the 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 Super Bowl winning throw was a, a like a toss and catch because they were just exhausted. So I have twofold question, whoever wants to take it. Number one, is this the 49ers all year? And number two, how do you how should the coach have game planned so that they weren't out of their minds exhausted at the end of the game or was there anything they could do because they were chasing Mahomes all night? Well I'll start things off. To answer to answer what could they have done? I think the biggest thing they could have done to take away Mahomes' receivers on plays like that are just a zero coverage across the board, man coverage, press, tight to the guys. Because these aren't receivers who can go out there and run a crazy route tree the way... Rasheed Rice is okay, but it's not like a Tyreek Hill, a Justin Jefferson. If you can stick tight to these guys and take away their best attribute, which is space for Mahomes... I think you could find success defensively when they run a zone defense, which they were running in that second half there and obviously in overtime. That's when you have time for players to get into space. That's when Mahomes can make his decisions, make his reads and get the ball to these guys. The final touchdown was a little bit of a pick play. Not quite. It was just kind of an out and up drag. Um, that would have been the one thing I would have changed defensively. Um, but as far as as far as where, where do the 49ers go from here? They're still a team with so much talent. They're going to be retaining a lot of guys. I think they're still a team that's right on the doorstep, but they ran into greatness. I mean, we've said it. We've touched it. Is Mahomes inevitable? It certainly looks like we're at that period in time where this guy just shows up and wins the big game. I don't know how you deal with that. There's something to be said for just, hey, we ran into greatness. It is what it is. And I think that was what we saw on Sunday. What about you? Anything that you came away with? Um, I, I totally agree with you, Declan. They, they ran into greatness. They ran into the inevitability that is Patrick Mahomes. But um, 
other than other than that, I think what that game came down to the most to me was mistakes. Uh, the 49ers made more mistakes. San Fran um, obviously have the the kick going off the guy's foot, and then uh, Riri McLeod doesn't uh, doesn't get it. Um, and then you have you have other other little mistakes that, that kind of cost them the game. I mean the 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 kick on the the extra point that you need to make that right. If you make that, you need. Pat Mahomes then needs to get a touchdown instead of just that uh, that kick to force overtime. But um, it just it, to me, it just came down to mistakes. San Fran's still a great team. They're gonna you got to figure that they come back next year. No, it's and the Eagles have, next year. <laughs> I, I don't know about that one. Hey now, I, I know you're they're, they're your team, but uh, they they just kind of had a they just seem to have a really unhealthy mix. The yeah. Eagles to me. Uh, I do want to mention, just linger on the football game one more time. I noticed a lot of negativity about uh, Tony Romo. And I just want to say, this is a thing that happens in life. And I'm old, so I can tell you this. Romo is a great, great analyst. And he's a really good broadcaster. And he's clever and he's funny. But here's the problem. And this is this happens in any relationship you ever have, and you have to overcome it. You have to acknowledge it and understand what it is and know that you're morphing into something that is less uh, intense and exciting than the beginning of a relationship. When Romo arrived, everybody loved him. He he knew the, everybody's playbook, so he knew what was ca- coming. He, there was nuance and things that he, he could tell you. Say this is going to be you know run left, or they're going to you know this is going to be a quick hit or whatever. He knew that he still does. But you are used to his verbal and his ticks, and we all have them. I don't care who you are. I don't care how old or young you are, or how much you try. Everybody, Jim Lampley has things that he says he checks down to verbally. And after a while, when you hear him all the time and you hang on every word like people do with Romo, it becomes irritating. You've got to step through that. You've got to make it past that and then appreciate for because your brain is going to the phrases. He's matching it and you're irritated. Stop being irritated because overall... There's nobody like Romo. Do you agree? Is there somebody you like better than Romo? I think Romo is a phenomenal, phenomenal, uh, phenomenal color guy. I really like Romo's analysis. He comes into it with obviously a brain that you can only have as an NFL quarterback. I don't mind his little quirks and hiccups here and there because I think it adds authenticity to it. Tony Romo is a guy for me who really enhances the game. And I've talked about this guy recently on our show. Glenn Suter was a guy who did the same for me. Oh, yeah. Glenn Suter is Romo, good, Yeah, he's no. right up there. I think he's great chemistry with Jim Nance. I don't think he detracts from the broadcast at all. I like Tony. I like the perspective he brings to the game. Uh, any thoughts on Romo? I think Romo's good. I mean, he has moments where I think he's a little too easy on on a, on, a, on Pat Mahomes. Like I think he loves Pat Mahomes, and he just like there like there's a uh, who's that ball to where it was just maybe a little smidge off, and he drops it. I don't remember who it was to. Was it to Noah Gray? I think it was to Noah Gray. I, I don't I don't remember who it was to, but I think it was Gray. Where he's maybe a little bit off, and then he's saying about like the the hand waving in the air, so he. So he makes it look like Pat Mahomes is a genius for maybe mistakenly throwing the ball to to the uh, the wrong spot. But I, I think he's a good good commentator. I, I like the perspectives he brings. It's just sometimes he's a little too um, I get Homer? Homerish yeah. to certain quarterbacks. I think that's kind of what some people have an issue with. Okay. Well, I, I because if you if you hammer away on him long enough, you're going to get somebody else, and he's not going to be as clever. And because a part of this is show business. Madden was brilliant, and he had great show business. I think Romo is a little a little less um, animated. 
and that may hold him back. Not that he's, you know, he's making a bazillion. I just, I don't want to see Hoodie in the booth, okay? I know it's coming. I understand. I just don't think it's going to be any damn good. By the way, Jason Greger quoting Evander Kane saying that he liked the, the, the Ridley Gregg shot and he understand Toronto's response. I'm sure Riley didn't mean to hit him in the head. A lot of those cross checked right up the shoulder. I think it's great entertainment and great for the game. I think that's all true. However, if you're the National Hockey League, you're in a bad spot because it's Toronto. And Toronto is a flagship station of the NHL. And the, the, the NHL losing a little bit of credibility because of their handling of the Chicago Blackhawks. And I don't want to get into it, but in recent seasons, the Blackhawks seem to get a free pass on a lot of stuff, including the number one overall pick, um, in Connor Bedard. So I think they're going to, I think it's going to be five or more, maybe even six. Do you have any thoughts on how long that suspension is going to be? If, I mean, eight was the, the number that came to mind. Yeah. Because there's nothing about it that's remotely a hockey play, right? That's right. the biggest thing. Like, y- there's no justification for a play like that, obviously, after the goal, after the whistle, you know, guys skating around the side of the boards. I think A would be reasonable. That would be my guess. What, you have a number in mind? My first thought was kind of six. Um, the David Perron play is kind of your your thing that you can compare it to. I obviously it's like you said back then it's it's not a hockey play it's it's an outrageous play that that has no place in the game I go six purely kind of Riley doesn't have a suspension history it's it's a tough play to call some people you can argue that he's maybe trying to cross check him in the shoulder and it does hit shoulder first I think he's going for the head and I think it's intentional but I have heard the arguments of he hits him in the shoulder first, yada, yada, yada. The Perron one was just straight to the face, and he was fully going up and trying to hit him in the face. So, I think it'll be six. seven, and they'll, they'll reduce it to five. I don't think he'll get seven games, but he's gone for the weekend a little bit. Uh, I want to just mention, because it was such an... Uh, remember Nick Taylor with the, the long shot at the uh, Canadian Open? And he did, he did... It was even more incredible... What he did at Waste Management Open. Did you see the? Did you see the run? Did either of you see what was happening in real time with him? I didn't see it in real time, but I heard about it. I saw highlights. It, it sounded pretty phenomenal. People were singing his praises pretty highly. He just kept doing things, and and being aggressive is great in on the golf course. But like, even if you're a great golfer, if you're let's say you're three behind and you need to catch up, you probably get two, and then you put it in the drink. It's so hard to be consistently great when you're being that aggressive, and he is. I love him. I, th- I think he's great for golf, and um, I, I the problem with golf today, there we go. The problem with golf today is you need dominant people. You need Tiger Woods, because even though not everybody loves Tiger Woods, everybody either loves or hates Tiger Woods. You need to have that, but I hope that Nick Taylor is is playing in an era where where he's famous famous enough, good enough, and people are are compelled to watch him enough to to for him to become obviously one of the great golfers of all time. I don't know if he will, but he's he just has something about him. It's almost like a hockey mentality where he's really aggressive, and that's two times now where he's really done it under pressure. It sounds like you're saying golf needs this. I think they do. Okay. Well, right. don't you because uh, uh, like. Better or worse, Tiger Woods for, what, 20-plus years was the guy you watched. And, and I remember he was even out of tournaments. Like, he'd be plus four, and there's no reason to show his tee shot on the 17th, and they would anyway, because that's how famous he was. 
you know, it's like everybody's mad about uh, Taylor Swift right now, but she's so famous. You show her because that's what a lot of the audience wants to see. Tiger was the same way. I had many people say, why is Tiger even in the the coverage right now because he's out of it but he'd be like five shots behind and there's always the sense that somebody wants to see that uh i don't know who's the who's the big star with live and all of that who's the, it's fractured who who is the big star in golf who's going to bring it all back the the one thing i would say is i almost don't know if golf needs that i understand that the sport was better when tiger was on top of the world but golf is such a sport rooted in histrionics and it has such a fan base because of the history of golf i wonder if there's a purity to that that they don't need a certain star is it better sure but can it survive without i would say it can it can i just don't know if it's a growth what about you um i don't think golf needs a a star per se i think it has lots of lots of stars that can win and do win quite regularly your your Rory McIlroy's your I mean in the in the live I guess you got Dustin Johnson you've got you got lots of great golfers all over the place but to me what separates golf from some other sports is you never know who's going to win that's what I love about golf where it's at right now like for instance Nick Taylor just just won you know you had you had him win the RBC the Canadian Open so Nick Taylor's a great golfer he could win any week he could miss the cut any week that's that's where I stand with golf. So um, I think Rory McIlroy is probably your closest thing to a, a star right now. But do you need like that big Tiger Woods figure? I, I don't think so. I think you need somebody coming up who's pushing all the old guys. And I'm hoping that it comes. I don't know that it will. Everybody is so damn good at golf right now. It's all like different shades of gray. The one thing I love about you is you are the only old guy who always roots for the next generation. You want it to be better than better for us because most old guys would say, no, we like it how it is. We want it to stay that way. You say, hey, you guys need someone. And I respect the hell out of you for that. Well, I I do it because you guys are getting screwed on health care. And I'm trying to stop an obvious thing that is happening. Everybody's like, anyway, I'm not going to get into it. But the world is is like when I was your age. I had a car that I owned, and I was on the way to owning a house. And I wasn't doing jack diddly, aside from driving to work and working eight hours a day. I had health care, I had coverage, and all of that stuff is gone for you guys. So the very least we can do is talk about young golfers and maybe have them, you know... I mean, you can't have my job, Declan. Sure. But That's I will say why. nice things about your generation. That's also why we're bringing my dentist in here, right? When I mean, is he coming? I You got to talk to him. I don't know. I haven't been in touch with him. I haven't. I I, gotta, I I'll make a dentist appointment and figure it out. Well, you got to go in there. I do, yeah. I'll drive you over and buy you a coffee because wow. we owe this fella. I think he probably wants to come in during the playoffs. Do you have any idea what we're talking about? I have no idea what you're talking uh, about, but I'm just thinking about a, an on-location Declan dentist appointment. Oh, uh, that would be good. You phone into the studio and you've got, uh, you know, the the pliers in your mouth or well, whatever what we your dentist do, uses. What we should do is auction off what we want done. Like, yeah. if you want him to, the front teeth pulled, you need to give 75 grand to charity. I would love that. Oh, my no. goodness. That'd be an incredible segment. And I'd get better teeth out of it. A, so live, win-win. a live stream of you just in the dentist chair or the, the listeners can can watch and can bid on what it, they want to happen next. If Declan's mom or girlfriend are listening right now, there's going to be an emergency call on the private line in two shakes. On the way, Rachel Dory at 1240, Jason Greger at 120. Don't forget about Mama MMA. NHL Rumors is now. Next, Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440 for Wolf GMC Buick. Visit them at wolfgmcbuick.com or check them out 
corner of 184th Street and Stony Plain Road. I drive by them every day and I wave. I'm sure somebody's waving back. So we figured out uh, during the break that Declan and I are pro-Romo and Donovan is anti-Romo. And that was something that may not have come through on the radio during the first segment. Okay, I've got a guy. Uh, the Nashville Predators made a, a move today, I believe. I'm looking for it. There we go. Um, they keep doing this to a man named Philip Tomasino. They assigned him to Milwaukee. And they brought up Igor Afanasyev and Mark Jankowski. So they have a 23-man roster now. Tomasino is a guy who's been around for a little while, and he came to the NHL the first time in 2021, scored 32 points. Last year, 22-23, he had 18 points in 31 games, about the same production. And this year, in 41 games, he has 20 points. They are not, I I don't know, I mean, I'm just telling you what I think. They are not, they are not valuing this guy. And I think he might be available, and I think he would be a really good get for the Edmonton Oilers. He's a right-handed forward. Uh, his underlying numbers have been, you know, I mean, he's over 50% in, in shot share this year. His goal share is is poor, but they're not a great team. His expected goal share is 54%. He's scoring at 1.91 points per 60. I know the Oilers under Ken Holland go after famous people. And I know Jake Gensel and Jordan Eberle and Tyler Toffoli are the guys that they're after. But I think Philip Tomasino would be a really great get. Uh, let's start with you, Donovan. Do you see... Are the owners going to do what Holland always does and goes after a famous guy? Or because of cap, do you think they might go out and get a guy like Tomasino? Not him specifically, but somebody who is not as much of a cap hit and would be easier to fit under the cap. And they might take more of a chance on because he's less proven than a veteran like Gensel. Uh, well, let me start with, first off, Phil Tomasino. I loved watching him in the World Juniors for Canada. I thought he was great. And I mean, when you pull up Phil Tomasino, you see just about, just under a half point a game player and you think... Is this Ellie Tolvin in 2.0? I, I think it is for Nashville. I think they're totally wasting this kid, and yep. he'll he'll go somewhere else, and he'll inevitably have a good career because you look at half a point a game player, and you're sending him down to the minors. Like it makes no sense at all. But um, I think Ken Holland will go back to his uh, kind of normal route of take a, a, a good player that's kind of kind of famous, and you know acquire him. I don't know if that'll be Jake Gensel or if that'll be Jordan Eberle. But if if you had to if I had to put money on it with a gun to my head right now, I would uh, I would I would say they they try for Jake Gensel, and if they can't get Jake Gensel, then that's the real question. I I don't think they're going to go cheap. I think they're going to go all out. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think they're going to go all out. They know they need to hit a home run. There's been so much talk about a top six winger. Um, I, I do. I think Ken Hollins is going to try and he's going to try and empty the clip, clip for uh, Jake Gensel. I think that's the home run play. As far as a secondary option, I just don't know what's out there. I mean, Tyler Toffoli's been thrown around so much, uh, mostly by guys here at Oilers Nation. Tyler, your Remchuk specifically. I like those two as my top two. But if I'm Holland. Jake Gensel is the guy I'm trying to hit the home run for. And it's it, the the what you said is such a good point, Declan, in that there's um we're talking about these guys like they're available. They might sign Jake Gensel in Pittsburgh or they might make the playoffs. Same as New Jersey. New Jersey to we're talking about him like he's available, but you know, he might not be. 
And it's reflected, too, in the list. Like Chris Johnston at The Athletic, he has Tanev, Hannafin, Sean Walker, Adam Henrique, Tarasenko. Gensel is six. And I know why Gensel's six on the list. I know why Scott Lawton is seven on the list. But a lot of what this list is going to look like at the deadline will depend on who's winning hockey games. And you can see it now. Like, I, if you look at the standings, it, L.A. winning on Saturday is a big deal. It wasn't... Until Saturday when they beat the Oilers and they got climbed back a lot closer to the Oilers than they were. If they'd lost that game, they would have been really in trouble. Now they've got a chance for third place. The idea of them sliding completely out of the, the playoffs is, is more difficult to kind of comprehend because they've got a two-point lead on Nashville and three games in hand. Uh, St. Louis is the team that's sort of wobbling a little bit. Calgary's starting to fade. I wonder with Calgary... They still have so much they could trade, but I still think they're trying to get Hannafin signed. That's the way to go there. Because if you're Craig Conroy and you just you tr- keep trading everybody at some point in time, it's going to be a long summer of chasing free agents who don't want to come because their perception is everybody's leaving Calgary. Turn out the lights when you leave. Thomas Hurdle is going to undergo knee surgery, going to be out several weeks uh, for San Jose Sharks. They've had a weird year and... I'll ask. I'll ask you, Declan. Yes. Does San Jose have anybody like? If you're the Oilers and yeah. you're looking at their roster, is there anybody that jumps out at you that you go, "Man, we we got to put him on the list of available players because if we got him, he'd make a difference." No, I mean there was so much talk about Blackwood early in the year, but no, I mean Thomas Hurdle's way, worth way too much money, and I just don't think there's anyone from that San Jose team you can slide onto the, the Oilers roster and be a contributing factor. Like I said, maybe Thomas Hurdle's the guy, but he's just owed way too much money. It doesn't make sense cap wise. What about you, Don? I'm going to disagree there. I, I like Anthony Duclair a lot. I think Duclair, Duclair could be a very good player. You saw Leon Dreisaitl fit really well with Ryan McLeod. Uh, this is the speed kind of helped Dreisaitl out, I thought, when they were playing together. And I think um, Anthony Duclair is just a substantially better Ryan McLeod. He, he shoot, he's more of a shooter. He's more of a, a playmaker to me. He's got about kind of the same speed-ish. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I think he's just a way better player than a Ryan McLeod. So I, I would, if you can't get a Jake Ensel to me, I would go Anthony Duclair. He would be, that would be my personal pick. How far do you go? Like I, I looked at the list and, and Duclair is an interesting one, but you know, you, you, you start out, you, Gensel's at the top, Toffoli is there, you, you slide down the list. There are some others that are maybe out there and available. And then there's like Jordan Eberle, who, who may be available. And I know a lot of Oilers fans were talking to Jason Greger and Wanya on Friday and Wanya's all about it. He could bring out his, his, uh, Eberle, uh, jersey that has never been washed, which I, I don't know if you, that's something you want to brag about, but is, is Eberle, demonstrably better than Warren Fogle as the second line right winger. Well, this is my point about Duclair, and we'll get to Eberle in a second, but my thing about Duclair is this guy is going to be a rental. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, you know, no reason, I don't think, for him to resign in them. Or what, he may, but whatever. He's a rental. What is he that much of an upgrade that what you may have to give up to get him on that shirt, that short-term rental makes the world of difference? I don't think there is, and that's my thing with, with Anthony Duclair. With Jordan Eberle, again, you talk about is he that much of an upgrade? I I would imagine he's probably a bit of an upgrade, but it is enough, is it enough to mortgage what you have? That's the question it always comes down to. And again, I don't know if it is. Where do you want to put the cap money? Because they don't have much, and they're probably going to make a trade so that some more cap money comes off and they can afford it. So I, I think what Ken Holland and Brad Holland and Jeff Jackson and everybody else in Hockey Ops is doing is saying, okay, we have this money, and I, whether it be a defenseman or a right winger or even a center, 
who is worth getting and spending this money on that would be an improvement over what we have. And like, I don't think it's a long list on right wing. I think it's like Gensel. It's, it's to Foley. I don't know that Eberly, I, I, I know why they'd want to acquire him, but if you're, if you're moving out, if you're keeping Foley, Fogel uh, and adding Eberly, that's fine. But if you're, if you're having to send out one of the, the guys that we talk about being tradable, which is CC Kulak or Fogel, and you're getting Eberly. I think that's the divide. I don't know that that's the line. I don't know what's a sure thing. And and you're making a bet. You're costing yourself money. You're costing yourself assets. I know that Fogel is a free agent. I know he has flaws. And I think Everly is a better possession player than Fogel, or at least he was for a long time. I, I I'm a little frustrated by the the trade list because everybody is like Sean Walker is interesting, but I don't know that he's worth wrecking your future a little bit. I think Gensel's the guy on right wing. He might cost Broberg in a first. And because there's talk of what what Kyle Dubas wants is basically the Claude Giroux deal, which is um, a first-round pick, a third-round pick, and um, they got the winger. Who Owen scores, Tippett. Yeah, Owen Tippett who scores a bunch of goals. Well, that's that's a hell of a package. And the orders, I don't even know. I'm sure somebody else could outbid them for it. But if you if you check down from Gensel and Toffoli's not there, is it possible that they have a quiet deadline? I don't think they will. Ken Holland doesn't play that way. Tarasenko? I, he might be it, guys. Tarasenko? Ter- Okay, to, to me, honestly... Have you guys been impressed with Tarasenko I, in Ottawa this oh, season? I haven't, but you, I, I'd rather have Tarasenko than spending a bunch on, on Jordan Eberle. There's a, tr- there's a track record there. Um, I'll be honest. Vladdy Tarasenko is my favorite player in the NHL. He has been for a while, for a long time. Now it all comes out. Wow. Okay. How long have you been all laying right. on this? Uh, I mean, I <laughs> I thought you just brought him up out of interest, but now it turns out you've been, you've been laying in the weeds. You're like a Russian agent. Uh, yeah, definitely. That's exactly what I am. Um, wow. But uh, no, no, Vladdy Tarasenko, to me, the Oilers, they need a top six forward that can give you some impact. And the only guys out there, obviously, like we were saying, Gensel, Toffoli, I think that Tarasenko can give you that impact. Tarasenko currently has, I mean, he's got 34 points in 46 games. Is it an amazing, amazing impact? But that no, but that, he's a he's 100% a top six forward. He would be a really nice ad. He's going to be. He's on pace to score twenty some goals. So mm-hmm. you're you're going to get a nice a nice player there that can for sure help you. But to me, it's either Duclair, Tarasenko, Gensel, or Toffoli. But I don't think New Jersey sells. Can I pitch this to you guys? What would you give up in a package for Anthony Duclair? Uh realistically, he's not having an amazing season, but the production is is there in previous years when he's playing with talent like he scored 31 goals in florida when he was playing with with jonathan huberto so i i feel like you can you can get a lot out of anthony duclair if you play him with talent uh that's just my my thoughts and i feel like that's that's already there in the past and it's been there the production so i would probably give up I feel like it would be like a third and a prospect or a second and a prospect. I feel like that's a realistic Anthony Duclair package. 
what what do you guys think? I wouldn't trade for him. Uh, the only reason yeah. is I, I just uh, you don't have that many bullets. You need a right winger who can score and maybe be a two way guy. Duclair has a lot of things going for him. I don't think they match what the Oilers need right now. That's my opinion. I'd go right handed center who could play wing like Lindholm. He's gone now. Or I'd go a right winger uh, and then try to get a fourth line guy uh, for the right center job. And and then if you, I don't I don't know the name of the defenseman, I'd rather. Uh, Duclair is a good player, and he could help, but the Oilers already have those spots filled. They don't have a second-line right winger. On the way, we're going to ask that question and more of Rachel Dory from Staff and Graph Podcast. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440 for Wolf GMC Buick. Check them out at wolfgmcbuick.com. Via 1-833-401-1440 in our text line, this is a very professional roundtable you fellows have going on this afternoon. Now I'm really questioning the reception out there. It's Alan Mitchell hanging out until 2 o'clock today when Jason Greger is live on the radio. And I also have Donovan Paulson and Declan Kruger. It's a three-man show here. You know what happens? Three-man show, pretty soon it's a two-man show. And I'll be driving around, you know. I'll be Ubering you to work, Declan. You know who the odd one out is, right? Don't make any mistakes well, listen, about it. I'm just saying, you know. There's a there's a certain, you know. I can't do anything about my my birth certificate, and that's the big issue. We are just ahead of Rachel Dory from Staff and Rap Podcast. As a matter of fact, we have her now. Uh, Rachel, welcome to the show. Uh, everybody here is talking about the Morgan Riley suspension hearing slash, and nobody can agree on what a fair penalty is. What's your opinion? Um, it's tough, right? Because I think you want that stuff out of the game. Like it, Morgan Riley, there's a difference between responding, which you absolutely have to. Uh, you can't just let that go unchecked. But you have to respond in a in a much better manner. If you want that stuff out of the game, it's got to be five plus. The issue you have here is we've got multiple examples of similar plays that are one to three games. So I look at this and say, if we want it out of the game, it's got to be five plus. So I'm okay with a heavy suspension. What I'm not okay with is a heavy suspension for one player and then one or two games for another player for a very similar play. If you're going to come with heavy suspension, they have to be consistent. So like Alex Chason cross-checked a leaf in the head last year after the play, totally unsuspecting or a couple years ago. And it was a one-gamer. So if that's the precedent you set, that's the precedent you got to stick to. I would prefer if the precedent was higher than that. So I'm okay with Riley getting five or six games. But I'm not okay with it if you're not also handing out similar penalties for similar plays. And that's where I think the issue is. The issue is not should he be suspended or not. He absolutely should be. The issue is nobody knows what the precedent is because the Department of Player Safety is absolutely useless when it comes to discipline, and I'm not even convinced that they care about the safety of players. Well, I, I, here's my issue. I, I agree with everything you've said, but I, as soon as it happened, I said he's going to get five or six uh, because Toronto's a flagship station and they have to come down hard. And then as I said that, the other part of my mind that argues with me is like, what if he was a Chicago Blackhawks player? Because I don't care, Rachel, it's the perception that the Blackhawks and some teams in the NHL, wherever Lou Lamarillo is, there just seems to be two rules sometimes. And the Maple Leafs, I think they can make an example of because they're not one of the inner circle teams like Chicago. Am I wrong on that? 
Um, I think I agree to a certain standpoint. When I worked in the NHL and even after I've kept track of the Department of Player Safety, the cold hard facts are George Perros played the majority of his career for the Anaheim Ducks, who have been suspended the second least by him during his tenure. The San Jose Sharks have been suspended the third most by him. Then he played for Montreal, and who ended his career? The Toronto Maple Leafs. The Toronto Maple Leafs have more than 15% more suspensions in terms of games accrued than any NFL team. And if you look at it, they are far more likely to make an example out of a Leaf player than they are out of any other player. And that is a huge issue in my eyes. If you're going to make examples, and I wish they would, I really liked what Brendan Shanahan was the head of Department of Player Safety. Mm -hmm. I prefer heavier suspensions. But I only want them if they're consistent because then it's a deterrent. If we're spinning a wheel or throwing a a dart at a dartboard, I don't know what we're doing here, but you're absolutely right. Chicago gets off. Even to a degree, Boston gets off. Yes, they're the most penalized or second most penalized team. But if you think about all the stuff that they've gotten away with, it's significantly more. And then, I mean, one of the best examples is Kadri gets the rest of the series in the playoffs. And I totally agree with that suspension. That's fine. But then you can't suspend Evander Kane for less than that for a play that's almost the exact same. So yep. that's where the, the issue is. You have to be consistent with your suspensions. And if you can't be consistent, step aside and let somebody who's capable of doing the job do the job. Uh, I See, I agree totally. And I also, I, like, I don't agree with with the I think you can always tell a new a new person comes into player safety is in charge he makes like five really good decisions and then you can see it sort of it's almost like okay they're getting to him I I, I just I don't like the the process at all and I think that former players being associated with it exacerbates the issue and you pointed out Peros beautifully about like I'm biased everybody's biased if I were the the guy in charge the Bruins would never get penalized on anything because I'm a Bruins fan since or but that's why you need somebody who's independent you absolutely do and honestly you can't have a guy who runs the violent gentleman hockey club which slogan is make hockey violent again Running your player safety department, that is absolutely not how things work. If Paul Correa is running the department, if Ray Ferraro is running the department, if anyone that was a useful NHL hockey player that had any semblance of skill that would have been somebody that was targeted was running the Department of Player Safety, I think it's a much different conversation. But you have a guy who owns a company, its entire premise is about violent hockey and he's the head of your player to safety department, what are you doing? No, it's true. Uh, I'm asking, it's a Super Bowl question, but I'm asking it because it does apply to, to hockey as well. Uh, Chiefs win again, two in a row, first time in, I think, 20 years. When does a dynasty become a dynasty? Is there a line in the sand, or do we just kind of make it up as we go along? I think I look at it, and it's going to be three... Uh, championship appearances in five years have, and, and you have to win at least two of them. So I look at that and I say the Chiefs are a dynasty because in every single season, Patrick Mahomes has been the starting quarterback. They have at least made the AFC championship and they've made the Super Bowl in four of them. now, And he's three and one. And so you're at a point now where 
the road goes through Kansas City. If you are in the AFC, you will not win the Super Bowl unless you beat the Chiefs. And that is very much what we got with Brady and the Patriots. And that's where we are with the Chiefs. So I think when you look at Dynasty, it's like three or four championship appearances in five years and two or three wins is a dynasty. But I think it's the consideration that basically we can't win unless we beat these guys. You know it's that team that you have to beat. And next year, who do you have to beat, Alan? You have to beat the Chiefs. Yeah, or the Eagles in the NFC. Uh, so, like they have any chance. Um, I want to ask you about this because – Everywhere I read and hear, I think it was on uh, Friedman, but it's been other places, the Oilers are reportedly interested in Jay Gensel. And I get it. Uh, but you've got to move out some cap. So that means Fogel or CeCe or Kulak. Uh, and you're probably going to have to trade your first and maybe a, a, a good to great prospect like Holloway and Broberg or Broberg. I think that another team should be able to exceed that for Gensel. But let's say the Oilers are the only game in town. Who do you move out? Who's the best to deal? Is it Fogel, CC Kulak? Especially if you're trading for Gensel, and that means you might not be getting a defenseman in the deal. You might have to make a, a trade for a blue liner after you get Gensel. Yeah, I think Fogel probably makes the most sense. And then you go down the list and you find Cody, CC and Brett Kulak. You're going to have to clear some of that cap space for sure. There's not really any getting around it. I think you could probably get away with a Kulak and Fogel. Uh, you get rid of them, that, that gives you just over $5 million. At the end of the day, how do you avoid this? You don't sign Cody CC to that contract. <laughs> you just don't do it. Um, same with Brett Kulak, actually, as well. And so I think when you look at it, should the Oilers be in on Jake Gensel? Yes, they absolutely should. Evander Kane, outside of his hat trick, has been not remotely good enough this year. And you need something, someone that can – consistently play with top players in the top six. Gensel can play with Crosby, so I have no reason to believe he couldn't play with McDavid or Dreisaitl. But I think you're you're right in your assessment that they're going to need to make a couple trades because Pittsburgh's not taking Fogel and Kulak back. You're going to have to trade them elsewhere in sort of like a cap dump to be able to, to take Gensel back. And yeah, that's probably going to cost you Broberg or Holloway. Or, I mean, they, they've got a few, right? Xavier Borgo, Raphael Lavoie. There's a, there's a couple of them that, that they've got. And so I think when you look at it, they have options. The, the simple solution is to simply not sign bloated contracts for non-top six, top four players. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the shoot the moon play, uh, Vancouver did it. Maybe they'll do it again, but they did it with Lindholm. There's an overpay. We've talked about the Canucks and how much they paid to get the guy. I, I like, I, we talk about Gensel, like he's available. He may not be. And I feel the same way about Toffoli, but if you're the Oilers and you get any indication that one of those guys that you really do like, who you feel can, can move the needle for you on one of those top skill lines is available and understanding that they don't have a whole hell of a lot in terms of picks and prospects to trade. If you're the Oilers, do you, because of this year, because of the chance to win it and it's different shades of gray and you're one of them and you could improve with Gensel, do you shoot the moon? Do you go soon and try to get the guy or do you wait till the last minute? I'm not even convinced Gensel is available, honestly. If he is available, yes, you empty the that's a guy that you can really comfortably go after. And that's somebody I would be going after. Tyler Toffoli doesn't do it for me. Uh, I don't think he's been very good of late. 
I'm not really even sure sort of what New Jersey is going to do because they're kind of in a precarious position. Whereas with Pittsburgh, Jake Gensel is a is a better hockey player than Tyler Toffoli. Like, I'm not saying there's a chasm, but we're talking about a legitimate first-line player that can, that has proven he can play with superstars in this league and score. And that's a proven commodity, and he's consistent. And so I, I like Jake Gensel a lot. I think if Edmonton can get him, that is absolutely something that they need to be seriously considering. And if you have to overpay a little bit for a star – that's much different than overpaying for a middle six guy into Foley. Toffoli's not a top line guy on a cup contending team, whereas Gensel very much is. And so I look at that and I say, it really depends on, on what's available. Are you getting a legitimate first line player, first pairing defenseman or top end goalie, like a UC Soros, for example, then yes, absolutely. You don't mind overpaying, but outside of that, I, I would be very careful if I were Edmonton to not overpay for something that I'm not absolutely sure is going to be a difference maker. Rachel Dory, our guest staff and Graf podcast. Final question, Rachel, why haven't the Devils traded for a goalie? I know the price would be prohibitive, but it seems like such a no-brainer to improve yourself immediately and be a strong contender right away. I'm not sure, given the Dougie Hamilton injury, Jack, he's been in and out of the lineup and kind of everything that's going on. It, it kind of seems like an off year for the Devils. I do wonder about the goaltending, though, when you think about it, and they were hot after Hellebach, uh, and then he re-signed in Winnipeg. And so I wonder if the Devils kind of look at the season they're having and, and say, this, like, we've got – our window is just open. Like, we've got so much time. We don't need to overextend ourselves in a year where we've had some pretty rotten luck with injuries. We can stand pat see what happens and evaluate in the off season to really try and make our team better all year next year. Because if you are going full steam ahead, you trade for a goalie, the odds are by the time you get to round one, you've tired yourself out just trying to make the playoffs here. And so I wonder if in the offices of the Prudential Center, they're kind of thinking to themselves, maybe we don't need to push the chips all the way. And very similar, I think the Devils and the Leafs are kind of in a similar spot in the sense that like, I don't know if this is the year to push your chips in just based on how the year has gone. Whereas Edmonton has turned that ship all the way around in a 180 and they absolutely are a legitimate contender in the Pacific. And I don't think anybody wants to see them come playoff time. Rachel Dory, you rock. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Low down with low tide on the way. Jason Greger in hour number two, we're going to go over the, lines and pairings at practice this morning with the Oilers and we're going to talk a little bit Super Bowl with these two uh, people who are ticking over the show it's only a matter of time Donovan and Declan gang it up on me and I'll try to get a word in edgewise in hour number two this is the lowdown with low tide on sports 1440